We're talking about the war within. And Paul uses Jewish marital customs to help us understand the spiritual forces that battle within. And just by way of review, as we've kind of followed through Romans 7 for, for the last couple of weeks, what we've found is that um, Paul likens being under the authority of the law of Moses to being awfully wedded and to be under the influence of the new covenant is to be happily wedded. We might see the decrees of the old covenant as old covenant vows from God and the decrees under the new covenant as new covenant vows. The question is, how do we go from one to the other? How do we go from being awfully wedded under the authority of the old covenant to being happily married under the authority of the new covenant? And what Paul tells us is in Romans 7, 4, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. So Jesus dies so that we could go from being under the old to being under the new by being lawfully widowed. He dies so that we can make that transition. Um, Jesus' death frees us from living under the authority of the Old Covenant. And what we're finding as Paul goes through this is that our the war within is managed by understanding our relationship with the covenants that we find in the Bible. And in terms of Jesus' death, why did Jesus die? Uh, well, Paul would say Jesus died to terminate our relationship with the Old Covenant. And he rose to initiate our relationship with the New Covenant. As we've said, at the time, this would have been very, very controversial. If when Paul writes this and it's read in house churches, it would have been very controversial to them because Paul would have been raised to believe that God's law is the solution. And what he would have been raised is that there's a good impulse and there's a bad impulse. And the more Bible you have in your mind, the more able you are to do the good impulse and the more able you are to resist the bad impulse. And, and that's the way Paul would have been raised. So he spent a lot of his life. In fact, what he did, he became an expert in the Bible, memorized the complete Old Testament and what people had to say about it. And what he ends up saying in this letter is this, is that in Romans, Paul reveals that God's law is the problem. Now, we're going to understand that. It's not that the law is bad, but what he does say with respect to individuals who understand or believe they're under the old covenant, that becomes a problem. And here's what Paul has said so far in Romans. He has said that the law identifies sin. Look what it says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Law identifies sin. It isolates us so that we can see that it's there. Not only does it identify sin, it increases sin. It says the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. 
leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law came in to increase the trespass. So what Paul has said, then we're learning a couple things about the influence of law. The law identifies sin and it increases sin. And it also inflames sin. It says, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, again, look what it says, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies to bear fruit for death. Now, would you agree with me? Paul said the law identifies sin, increases sin, and inflames sin. That would lead us to believe that the law is the problem, right? Not so fast. He won't land there. Um, Look what he says. What should we say then? Is the law sin? No, certainly not. He says, indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. And what Paul's going to say, and he's going to make this point, is that the law is not the problem. Sin is. And what's really important for us to understand is that when Paul talks about sin here, sin is a power, not an act. It's a master. It's something that rules and controls. It's not a behavior which we do. Now, Paul speaks of sin in that way, but here, sin is a power. It is a ruling power, a controlling influence, and what it suggests, sin uses the law as the means whereby it controls us. Um, We might see it this way, the fact that sin, again, the fact that sin uses the law something good to accomplish bad purposes tells us something about sin. Um, It says in Romans 7.13, did that which is good then become dead? With that which is good is the law. So does that mean that because the law is used by sin, does that mean the law is bad? And Paul says, no, no. The law is not the problem. Well, it is the problem, but not ultimately. By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin. It produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. The fact that sin uses the law to control those who have received it exposes the malignant nature of sin. So here seems to be what Paul says. The law is the smoking gun. Sin uses the law to create rebellion and to actually identify, increase, and inflame sin. But sin aims the law. The law is the smoking gun. But sin as a power aims the law, and sin pulls the trigger. That might seem confusing, but Paul will go on, and he'll talk about, and he talks about his spiritual condition. So with respect to this, here's what he says. 
I am a slave to sin. Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, hang on, Paul's going to say some things here that seem controversial. He says, I am a slave to sin. Now, when Paul writes this, he is writing in the first person. He's saying, I, and he writes this about 54, 55 AD. He was a Christian at this point. Wasn't it surprisingly? Is when Paul says, I am a slave to sin, he is writing not before he became a Christian. He's writing as a Christian. Um, slavery to God then, and this is going to be surprising, and we're going, to, we're going to talk about this. Slavery to God and slavery to sin, they were both what Paul was experiencing at the time. Both of them. Slavery to God and slavery to sin are not mutually exclusive. Now, we're going to look at this. They are coincidental. Paul is speaking at a, as a Christian at this point, and what he's going to tell us, on one side, he was enslaved to God's law. On another, he was under the control of sin. Um, he says, I am a slave to sin. He also says, I cannot do what I want to do. Again, look what he says. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. If I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Listen to what he says. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. If I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. I'll tell you what, here's, here's my symptoms. You tell me what my problem is, okay? I'll tell you my symptoms. You tell me the problem. I don't do what I want to do. And I do what I don't want to do. What's my problem? We'd say it's a couple of things. Um, when we have a problem like that, it must be intellect. Maybe I, and let's, let's try to solve Paul's problem. Paul says, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Is it intellect? Does Paul not understand what's right and wrong? No, he understands what's right and wrong, so it's not an intellectual problem. Uh, well, maybe if it's not an intellectual problem, it's an emotional problem. Maybe it's because Paul likes to do what's wrong, and he doesn't like to do what's right. You think that's Paul's problem? Doesn't seem so. He knows the right thing to do, he wants to do it, and he wants to do it. So it's not an intellectual issue. It's not an emotional issue. Well, intellect, emotion, what must it be? It must be will, right? It must be, well, so is it that he wants to do what's wrong? Is that his issue? It doesn't seem to be. Paul wants to do what's right. He can't do what's right, but he wants to do what's right, so it's not an intellectual problem. It's not an emotional problem. It's not a will problem. Would you agree with me? It's important to understand what's the problem. And here's what Paul will say. It's none of the above. The problem Sin is living in me. Sin as a power 
was living within him. That's what Paul says. says, sin is living within me as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Listen to what he says. It's not I myself who do it. It's sin living in me. What he suggests is that me isn't the problem. What is living in me is the problem. Sin is not something I do only. Sin is a power which controls. Let's apply this to our spiritual condition. Sin lives within us. When we become Christians, sin's presence in our life does not go away. I'm not talking about only doing bad things. I'm saying sin as a power is still in us. What they say about shingles, the shingles virus, is that it's in us and it's dormant. And when it comes under certain circumstances, then it flares up into shingles. Sin is like that. We have sin as a power living within us. And it's active or dormant, and we'll understand what causes it to be either way. Um, Sin lives within us. Does that seem like a cop-out to you? Why do we not do what we want to do? Why do we do what we don't want to do? Isn't it a matter of intellect? Isn't it a matter of emotion? Isn't it a matter of will? You know what Paul is telling us? Our issue, sin lives within us. Sin is living within. If that's the issue, then this is true. Because sin lives within, we live with irreconcilable desires. You and I, we have desires that point in different directions inside. We want to go this way and we want to go that way. That's not an issue. That's an issue for all of us. Uh, that's what he says. We live with irreconcilable desires. Um, we can't do what we want because this is what we want to do. If you want to do this, if you want to do this and that, can you do what you want to do? If you want to do different things, can you do what you want to do? The answer is no, because you want to do two different things. If I want, if I do this, part of me is mad because I'm not doing that. If I do that, part of me is mad because I'm not doing this. That's the problem with having irreconcilable desires. We cannot do what we want to do because this is what we want to do. We can't be who we want to be because this is what we want to be. This sounds crazy, doesn't it? Does this sound crazy to you? Or do you recognize this? Paul's not crazy. He is identifying a problem in a way that no one ever identified it this way before, not as clearly. He, what he comes to here is so significant, it seems. We can't gratify our desires because our desires are irreconcilable. I have a question. Is it possible for us to be wholehearted? 
100% committed to God. Is that possible? Possible? If our desires are irreconcilable, is it possible for us to be wholehearted? The answer is no, it isn't. Not possible for us to be wholehearted because our heart is kind of split. If myself are ruled by irreconcilable desires, wholeheartedness is not possible. Uh, you can say, Mike, what do we do with all this? And we're going to talk about it, and Paul's going to talk about what we're to do with it, but we have to recognize an issue. The issue is that sin lives within us, and because sin lives within us, our desires are irreconcilable. Sin's influence, sin's influence becomes irresistible when we live under law. And we've talked about this. Where does sin draw its power to be controlling? Well, Paul says, apart from law, sin is dead. Sin draws its power from law, living under the old covenant. We talked about it this way. Um, law is to sin what spinach is to Popeye. Remember what happens when Popeye gets spinach, he gets really strong. When we see ourselves under the authority of the old covenant, what we're doing at that point is we're giving power to sin to increase its control over us. And at that point then, under law, sin's power is high. And our power to resist it is very low. Under law, under the old covenant, this is the way it is. Under the new covenant, it goes this way. The power of sin to control decreases and the power to obey God increases. There will always be this shifting. The critical, the critical, actually, the thing that makes or breaks our ability to, to fight the war within is, do we have covenant clarity? How do we, let's be practical then. What do we do with this? Number one, in terms of applying this, tune out old covenant teaching. What this suggests is that the sin living within us, its power increases when we believe that God blesses us when we obey and curses us when we disobey. And so one practical thing we can do is to tune out old covenant teaching and naturally tune in new covenant teaching. Um, the only way to escape being confused is understanding what the new covenant is and that it applies to us. The more we think new covenant thoughts, the less we think old covenant thoughts. And we've talked about this, we'll continue to do so. The ability to manage the war within is directly related to how clearly we think about what God's vows are to us. What are God's vows to you? Is God saying, I'll bless you if you obey and curse you if you disobey? No, that's not what he's saying. And if that's what we believe he's saying, that actually will cause us to do more wrong things. And we might say, well, what kind of wrong things? When we go into law, it leads into two directions. It leads into if we're fighting ourselves, thinking, well, I should be able to be better than I am, and I'm bad. That's the problem. What ends up happening if we try to control ourselves and force ourselves to change, it leads to two different things. It's not going to lead to righteousness. It may lead to unrighteousness. Sometimes when we try to fight ourselves, 
we try to force change, we become rebellious, resentful. I'm not going to try anymore. I'm going to, I'm just going to forget it. If you can't beat them, join them. And what we end up doing is veering into unrighteousness, doing unrighteous things. Some of us don't veer into unrighteousness. We try to fight and knuckle down ourselves, and what we end up is in self-righteousness, which is about, well, if you could be like me, you'd be as spiritual as I am. You know, we see ourselves as better than others. I have a question. In terms of Jesus, who is Jesus more effective with? Or let me ask you the other way. Who was resistant to Jesus' influence? Did Jesus have a hard time dealing with sinners? Did he have a hard time dealing with self-righteous Pharisees? That's the problem. Sometimes self-righteousness is more difficult than unrighteousness. And that's what happens when we see ourselves under the old covenant. We become unrighteous or self-righteous. The fact is, this battle is going to rage within us. And the more we think that we can wrestle ourselves into submission, the worse off we are. Tune out old covenant teaching, tune in new covenant teaching, and we've talked about this, and I'll encourage us to practice it. Practice new covenant confession. This is just a little skill to do, but I encourage you to try to practice this as much as you can. It's a way to get your thinking clear. When you do something wrong, you violate something that well, you'd say, I didn't want to do it, and I did it. I didn't want to do it, and I did it. So when you find yourself having made a choice, here's what I want you to do. First of all, be honest about it with him. Talk with him. He already knows it. You know what, God? I, I did this thing, and I didn't want to do it. I watched the program, and I didn't want to watch it. I spent time doing this thing, and I didn't want to do it. I said this, and I didn't want to say it. I thought that, and I didn't want to think it. You know what ends up happening when we talk to God? We end up telling him, I can't do what I want to do. I can't feel what I want to feel. I can't think what I want to think. I don't have what I want to have. Would you agree if we have irreconcilable desires, that's the truth? We can't have what we want to have because we want to have two different things. We can't do what we want to do because we want to do two different things. We can't think what we want to think. We can't feel what we want to feel. You know what we do when we can't have what we want to have and do what we want to do and think what we want to think and feel what we want to feel? You know what we do? We blame someone. Some of us blame ourselves. If I was a better person, if I had better thoughts. Some of us don't blame ourselves. We blame other people. If I had a better parent, if I had a better wife, if I had a better job, if I had more money, if I had a better social life, can we ever have enough to cause the war within not to exist? No. You know what the fact is, you and I? We're always going to have to live with the tension of irreconcilable desires. And you know what we might should do? Let's stop blaming someone for it. Because you know what the deal is? There's no one to blame. It's just the way things are. You know what God wants us to do? To stop blaming. Start coming to Him. And tell Him about the tension that you feel. 
Oh God, I did that thing and I didn't want to do it. And I did want to do it. And I didn't want to do it. And I did want to do it. Do you understand that? The pull? Here's what I want you to do. When you admit the tension, do this. Say what God says, which is, you know what, God? I did this thing and I didn't want, and I didn't do this thing and I did want. Thank you that you're still in me. You know what that is? That's new covenant thinking. Thank you that you're still with me. Thank you that good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. As you practice this thing, you feel your dividedness, but say, I did that, I didn't want to do it, I did want to do it. Do you understand what I'm talking about? The pull, the conflict. Understand the conflict? Of course you do. We all understand it, but we don't want to admit it because we believe that it shouldn't be there. It should be there. We can't not have the conflict within. The war within is going to be waged. It's all about whether we can deal with it appropriately. Here's the way to deal with it appropriately. If you want to get out from under the old covenant and under the new, that's the way to do it. And practice it little by little. We'll talk about it all the time. But practice it. When you, when you, when you're frustrated because of what you do and what you think, practice new covenant confession which is, God, I did this, and I wish I didn't, but I wish I did. Anyways, thank you that you're still in me, you're still with me, good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. I believe that's what he says to you when you blow up and you didn't want to. I'm still with you. I'm still in you. Good's still ahead of you, guaranteed. You made that decision, you watched that thing. I'm still in you, I'm still with you. Good's still ahead of you, guaranteed. I have a question. What would happen if we started to believe that? What you think about it? What would happen if you started to believe that more? You know what would happen? You'd start being a little less judgmental with yourself, a little less angry at yourself, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more gentle. And as you become more gentle with yourself, you will become more gentle with others as well. Tune out Old Covenant teaching, tune in New Covenant teaching, and practice New Covenant confession. We're going to see in the upcoming weeks, if you can come back, come back, Paul's going to continue to talk about this, and he's going to tell us about the war within, and he's going to help us to understand it. And understanding it will allow us to deal with it appropriately and effectively. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for... um, having words that help us understand what we deal with inside. This is confusing. It's not the way we are taught. We're taught that there's good and bad and that we can control the bad and, and that if the bad exists, well, it's, it's not good and bad, but you don't seem to describe it that way. You tell us that we have desires inside that pull in different directions, that Paul experienced that. Even someone as holy and religious as he, and he felt the war within. It's not something we can escape. It's just true. We're not, to, we're not supposed to blame it on anybody. It's, it just is. And you tell us there's a way to fight it effectively and ineffectively, to try to control ourselves in order to make you like us is ineffective. Understanding that you understand the war within and that you tell us that you're still with us and still in us and good still ahead of us, that's the way we are to manage it, to be gentler with ourselves. I pray we'd continue to learn And thanks for the chance we have to sit down together. Thanks for the food and for the opportunity we have to share it together. In Jesus' name, amen.